0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people, safety and horse welfare. And you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Our guest today is Gisla Nilsson Harding. Gisla is a dressage specialist, rider, trainer, and coach. She's also an international three star dressage judge. She's a mentor, a judge educator, and she spends some time judging internationally and interstate. How are you, Gisla? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Now, I know you've got a great quote for us. Would you like to tell us about it?
1: Yes, it's a quote that reflects on how I feel. It, There it goes. I call horses divine mirrors. They reflect back the emotions you put in. If you put in love and respect and kindness and
0: curiosity,
1: the horse will return that.
0: Yeah. Now, this particular quote, because it is a very good one, and calling horses divine mirrors, I think, is perfect. Yeah. When did you first come across it? When did you first see it and go, right, that's the quote for me?
1: I just Googled it one day, you know, yep. about horse quotes, and, and yep, yep. I read a couple, and then when I read that, that's exactly how I feel and how some of the answers of your questions uh, have come uh, not from that, but I've already mm-hmm. written them before I saw the quotes. So.
0: Okay, okay. So you already were thinking along those lines anyway. Exactly, mm, that's what mm, I mean. Mm, mm. Good. Now, when did you first start with horses? Have you got your first memories of anything to do with horses?
1: Well, I started to rise trot on two chairs with strings <laughs> for stirrups and strings for rain when I was about three years old. And I did that all day long. And in the end, my mother obviously thought, we've got to get this girl to a riding school. <laughs> and so they were leading me around and then they tried. And the riding instructor said, you know, just give her a little trot. So they did. And I could rise trot. And so he said, she's not a beginner. Put her out with the others. But of course, my chair never negotiated a corner, so in the first corner I fell off. <laughs> and my mum is up in the gallery thinking, "Oh great, she's going to hate this and never want to come back." But mm. I just wanted to get back up. So I don't know if it is DNA. My grandfather on my mother's side was a very high a soldier in the German cavalry, and he had many, many horses himself. So I suppose that's where it comes from because
0: none of my three older brothers ride, or. But that's how it started. And you must have had some memory, though. You know, just to know that you rise trot on a horse. You know, who would have taught you that? Would it have been your grandfather that taught you how to do rise trot? Or no, because he was—I he, never met him. He was dead. I must have seen mm-hmm. it on, on
1: film, movies. Okay. Probably all the you know the western movies or sure. something like that. But that's what I did all that's, day long.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. You must have had a little bit of muscle strength or muscle in your legs. Yes. <laughs> From there, I'm sure you would have progressed from there. Just tell us a little bit about that. But the most important question is this career with horses. When did you start to have a career with any type of horses? Was it when you first left school? Did you do something else first? What made you have a career with horses?
1: Well, as I said, I always wanted to ride. So every Christmas or birthday, I just wanted money to have riding lessons, Mm -hmm. which I did. And then at the riding school, one of the owners there was a race trainer and I decided then that I wanted to work with racehorses and be a rider and a strapper. So that's what I went straight from school to the racing stables. Okay. And I ended up being the manager in this particular racing stable. But then you gallop horses in minus 15 degrees. It's really, really painful. <laughs> and I thought, you know, if I'm going to continue doing this, I can't stay in Sweden. Mm. And I had a brother down here in Australia. So I went to the Australian embassy and said, you know, I'd like to migrate, and but I'm working with racehorses. And he just laughed and opened up a newspaper. And he said, look, racing, racing, racing is one of the biggest industries in Australia. Mm-hmm. So I
0: already had a position
1: with Neville Begg at Randwick Racecourse.
0: Oh, that's a good. So you went to a good trainer?
1: Yep. I did. And I was also the first full-time employed female ever. Mm-hmm. And in those days, that was 1970, in those days, I had to have $5 less than guys
0: okay yes yes
1: i was not allowed up on the grandstand because i was a female (laughs) so you can imagine coming from sweden which is a bit different to that yes so but
0: anyway i was working with my
1: beloved horses so i I stayed for a while
0: yeah i'm just thinking because that equal opportunity it only would have been a couple of years that you were on less pay it would have been fairly soon after that that you would have been on equal pay is that right
1: yeah, no, mm. as long as I worked there, which wasn't very long the, the course of the commission, there was no holiday time
0: mm-hmm.
1: or anything. So one of my brothers came down on the ship that was chartered by Phil Burns. And when he heard of all that, he said, like, sign on the ship as a stewardess, save money and go back home to Sweden. And that's what I was going to do until I um, met my husband on the ship and he loved Australia
0: from Spain. <laughs> Okay, Oh, that's wonderful. That's good. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. story about working in stables in 1970 and not having equal pay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. So then I decided, um, I was, as I said, I was working with parking cars, and, and then after we got married, we bought a property and I bought a horse, and I thought, why don't I try to get in as an instructor? And it had just come out. It was actually a Swedish colonel that had come out for the question, Australia, to set up the whole instructor scheme. So I was in the first lot of four to become a registered instructor. Mm-hmm. And that's how I then started with that tag to my name uh, to start to teach privately. I never went to a writing school, but people, I just go to people's places and, and teach. And it just yes. developed from there. And it's been my life since then.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. And for someone now who wants to work with horses, if they ask you, or even someone that you'd like to employ, what sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to have?
1: Well, I think that the main thing is that you have to have not just the love for horses, but also the respect. And I, I see it quite a lot. People have an aggression to horses because they're big and strong. Mm. And yet they are quite timid animals, so you don't get anywhere if you try to bully them. And I've heard people say, I don't care if I break its back and things like that. And I'm just horrified, when I hear that. So I think people have to have the patience to learn from the beginning how to approach them and how they think. And you almost have to think like a horse if you're going to be good at training them and breaking them in and so on. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry?
1: Probably the best thing is, apart from being with the horses, is that it's outdoors, mm-hmm. especially in this country. And And because I'm a judge and a coach, I meet a lot of riders, I meet a lot of international judges, and so you meet a lot of different people. And because we all love horses, we are similar.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We sort of value similar things. Yes. But I think the most, especially when I'm travelling around judging, I may not have seen a judge for six months or a year, so it's, it's like a get-together again,
0: especially <laughs> mm. with the international judges. Yes, and it is good, you know. People have similar ideas, similar things, you know. It may not be exactly 100%, but just having that similar interest, yeah. it does does sort of keep things together, doesn't it? Is there a particular person or people who've helped inspire you, helped you along a bit in your career?
1: I think the first one would be my very first instructor in Sweden.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was very, very strict, but he was also very encouraging when you did it right. And he was almost like a father figure for me. I mean, he caught me once smoking a cigarette behind the stable, and he whipped me with a lunging whip. Mm-hmm. So he was probably because he was an extremely good rider. And I think the other one is, is a German rider called Rainer Klimke. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, three times Olympic rider. Yep. And uh, he also had that enormous respect and a good outlook on how to train your horse and how not to ruin the walk, for instance, because that's when we judge the young horses. Often they have very good walks. And when we then judge them later in life, when they're eight, nine and ten, they have ruined the walks because they jammed them together. And his saying is, I never, ever put a horse on the bit in the walk. So he was, a, you know, I cried when he died, actually. That's mm. how much
0: I thought of him. Yes, yes. I'm sure that, you know, yes. there, there was a lot of sadness within the horse world when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. What about horses? You know, have there been any horses in particular that have influenced you or a general few?
1: I think that the only horse that I've bred,
0: mm-hmm. he would have to be about 14 years
1: old now. But just that having... Bred him and being there with him from that he was born, and I handled him myself. I did everything with him right up to be a good competing horse. And then I had an accident, so I, I sold him to one of my pupils. That's a little bit like my daughter, mm-hmm. and together we got him all the way up to FEI, which is the oh, international oh, good. standard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But he not just his ability to be a very good researcher, but he just had the best temperament because nobody had ever done the wrong thing by him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Everything was black and white. This is right, this is wrong. And therefore he had this fantastic attitude to, yeah. to life and, and to you know, being able to work well. Yeah. So he's probably his his nickname was Forrest Gump because he was <laughs> not being born. <laughs>
0: that's good isn't it yeah and good that he had that attitude you know you've got the opportunity when you breed horses John McLean is one of our regular guests and he's doing a series of the foals first handling Mm. you know going through to advanced foal handling and then starting to do some yearling preparation so that's a good one to listen to for anyone else that's got a horse that they have bred or they're thinking about breeding horses yeah that's quite beneficial yeah Now, that horse that went on to FEI, was that your proudest moment or have you got something else that you'd like to talk about?
1: Uh, I think my proudest moment was when I became an international judge in Mm -hmm. 2001. Yep. Because back then it was a huge, I mean, it still is a big step to be accepted as an international judge. But I think when I came home from New and I got a letter saying I've been accepted. I thought, wow. Because when you start judging at the lower level, I just started because I thought, well, I expect one or two judges to sit there and judge me without yes. being paid. Yes, it's I sort died. of giving giving so back, a, isn't it? Giving back yeah, exactly into the sport. Exactly, give something back yep. to the sport. Yep. And when I started, I never dreamt I was going to go all the way to international. Yeah. But, so that was probably one of the proudest moments that I did.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So up until now, you had a challenge. I know working. You know, I'm sure you would have had a couple of challenges. What do you think's been your biggest challenge?
1: I think probably the biggest challenge will always be there with me because to get the riders and all the horses up as high as possible, uh, some, you know, straight away, both horses and riders, that they're never really going to make it. They don't have the rhythm or whatever. But when you see that it's there, the challenge for me to get the best out of them and that they feel really good after the lesson and... and, um, I think that's probably the biggest challenge. When you actually then get somebody to get to the FEI international state, it's just such a buzz. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, what would you say if there's a coach out there that's got a potentially FEI rider, FEI horse, you know, they want to do the right thing, what sort of guidance would you give them so that they can continue to train and train that potential, you know, rider with potential FEI a horse with potential FEI that can go FEI, what would you say to them how they can, you know, if you as a as a mentor, as a coach mentor almost, you know, to to help them along the way? I think what has helped my
1: riders immensely and what I suggest every time I'm out judging and I have a rider, and mm-hmm. I, I tell them this, that I want all my good riders on safe horses to be able to ride a whole dressage test on the buckle. Yeah, not touching his mouth
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know walk counter counter walk the whole lot go come back because once they learn to do that and they honestly only use the reins for communication or slight direction not pulling on them and i think that's the biggest i can and the riders that I have that could do that they get a much stronger core balance and and of course the horses are much happier and it's just amazing when I first say to them, you know, one day I want you to hand gallop up the long side and before C, ask the horse to halt without touching his mouth. And they said I can't do that. That's
0: too dangerous. <laughs>
1: but my good riders can do that. And so mm-hmm. I say to them, but let's just start with three canter strides with the reins forward so you don't touch his mouth for three slides. And then, of course, we build it on that. And one day they can do it. And they're just amazed that they can
0: control the horse 100% from the saddle. Yep. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I want you to think about, you know, taking your riders now on to judging, a common fault that you might see, that you might see as a coach, but then you see as well as a judge.
1: It's probably the same thing about the hands and the connection. Mm -hmm. And I was judging yesterday and I saw it often and I commented on it often. They jammed the horses up in front so much that they get totally stiff in the back and therefore the hind legs can't come through and work under. Mm. And uh, and some, I mean, horses are such nice people. If it was me, I'd probably buck them off if they did that. Mm -hmm. But most horses don't. You know, they just take it and go there with a hollow back, which must be terribly uncomfortable. And I often say on my dressage papers, you know, allow more forward elastic contact. And uh, so I think that's the biggest problem that we have. And a lot of riders don't understand what collection is. They think if I pull him in the front end, so he has a really short neck, he's collected. Mm,
0: mm, mm.
1: Unfortunately, there must be a lack of very good trainers as well because
0: we shouldn't see as much of these bad habits as we do. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now, have a look. Horsechats.com. Is that trainers? Because as the horses progress through the level, what responsibility then do judges have on allowing horses through the level? You know, because often if riders are doing dressage and they're competing dressage and they are competitive. They might think, oh, well, I'm winning at this level. I'm right to go up to the next level. So what should a judge do if they see a rider and a horse in that situation? You know, they think, oh, well, you're the best horse here on the day, but you're not really ready to go up to that level. What can the judge do to stop that horse going up?
1: Yeah, we have to be honest. Mm. And that's a lot of the lower level judges are a bit intimidated by our top riders mm-hmm. and they will give them the higher marks even mm. if another rider had written like that they wouldn't get the higher marks that's one of the reasons i wanted to be a judge educator
0: okay. because
1: i have photographs and things like that you know not with a person on them but uh, you know if you see that with our top olympian you've got to mark that down to a four mm. you cannot give it a six or a seven and i think that that honesty at we really are not afraid of going down or afraid of going up. A lot of judges sit on the five, six, seven and very seldom go to the higher marks and seldom to the lower marks. I actually had Vida come up to me yesterday after I finished judging and she said, Hi, Gislav, so and so, I just wanted to thank you. You gave me a 10. I said, Oh, that, but what did I give you a 10 for? She said, For my young horse, for his walk. And they you know, very, very few judges would go to a 10.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But if I sit up there on my 8 or my 9 and think, why not a chairman? And if I yes. don't have an answer for that, I will go a 10. Yep. Okay. That's what I wanted to do. And, and also, as I said, if it's a famous writer that does something bad, you go down to a 3
0: or a 4 or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: And then I think we get it right.
0: Yep. Yep. You know, you're talking about judges being honest. One of our early guests, Philippa Collier, said something like um, being honest as a judge won't make you popular, you know, and there was sort of a bit of correlation there. If you want to be popular, you can't be honest or, and be popular both at the same time because sometimes within your honesty, people aren't ready then to accept that. But you've still got to be honest.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the very good riders that will make it to the Olympics, they know that you've been honest. Mm-hmm. And even if that puts them in third or fourth position, you know, I have had top writers come up to me and say, thanks for being on you. are the only one that saw what the problem I had.
0: Uh, okay. Yep, so right. I yep. think
1: they yep. respected. I would never judge with the opinion I'd like them to ask me again because I'm such a nice judge. Mm-hmm. And even when people say to me, you know, that they're just children, you've got to mark them higher. And I said, no, I don't. Mm. If you're a child and you play tennis, you are judged exactly the same as McIntyre. Yes. And it's the yep. same thing. You have to be judged on how you handle that horse. And if it's good, you're lucky. If not, then, and I always make sure I tell them why, mm. why I give them a low mark. And I try, and in the end, we got a little bit we can write at the end.
0: Yeah. I always yep.
1: try to give them one or two things that, where you need to work, being in contact or being whatever.
0: Yep, yep. That's good feedback, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. it has to be good feedback.
0: Yeah, yeah, so then they can still learn from that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think especially when we're out in the country judging, Mm. we have to do
0: that because they may not have a coach. They might just go
1: home and train after
0: what the judge has said. Yes, you might be the only feedback that they get. Exactly, and if the judge
1: says, good, 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 well, they're going to continue the way they're doing
0: and not only that, a good coach is going to ask the rider to have a look at their test to see what the judge is yeah. seeing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think that in the country, that many riders don't even have a coach.
0: Mm. They might
1: mm. have a coach come in twice a year for a week or two. Yes. But not like here in Sydney, we can all have a regular coach.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just like, have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners to complement their training?
1: Yes, I have. One is called Alvish which is Rainer Klimke's course. Yep. That, it's a brilliant book. And the other one is an old book called Riding Logic.
0: Okay, yes. I don't know if
1: you remember that. But I do. Probably in the 70s as well. Those two are probably the best books that I can think of. And, of course, the Dress Out Handbook. If you yeah. That's if you're either as a writer or as a judge Yeah, because it explains exactly what is a 10, what is a 4, what is a 3.
0: Mm.
1: So mm. if you're not 100% sure, you could look at the handbook and find, okay, with that fault. I've got to come down or I've got to come up.
0: Yep, yep, yep.
1: So they're the three that I think are very
0: good. I think the three of them, particularly the handbook, you know, I think that the handbook's one of the more popular ones. Yeah, and those books are available on the Horse Chats website as well. Oh, that's that. A list of which ones are the most popular. I think it goes the most popular and then all the way down and then links through to people so that they can buy them. Gisela, what are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold?
1: Well, being the age I am, my future is probably soon to retire from desarch because by the time you're 70, you can't judge internationally
0: anymore. Okay. Do you think you'll still keep judging locally, though, interstate? Because you, when you're good at something, it's it's such a shame if you're going to stop just because you reach a certain age when you've got so much to offer anyway.
1: Yeah, no, i probably would content, you know, within, but... I've, mm. I've been thinking about it because i spend spent a lot of weekends away, so I may yep. not accept as many dating positions sure. as I have up to now, but I probably won't stop cold, for
0: mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the
1: other thing, I've just started teaching my grandson, six-year-old, uh, oh, to perfect. start riding on one of my pupils' ponies, and yeah. he just loves it. So I really hope it is mm-hmm. going to pass down to him now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it sounds like you're going to be doing a bit more Coaching and coaching him and uh, cut down a bit on the judging. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And Gisela, can you summarise your philosophy with horses in a couple of sentences, please?
1: Yeah. So I I think it all comes back to the respect and also that I think everybody that handles the right horses should learn to listen to them. Mm -hmm. They, They always try to tell us what is wrong or what is right. But if we don't try to learn to hear that and understand them, so I think the philosophy, if you really want to get the most, like a best friend in horses, when they do something that might be pleasant or not pleasant, try to figure out what it is they're saying, right?
0: Yep, yep.
1: So that you learn all the time, you learn. And my son, when he was little, he used to say to me, "Mum, how come you can talk to all the animals? It's one of the biggest compliments I've ever had.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because
1: yeah. he thought that I actually could do it when it was little. So, but it's what I, I try to do. And it's all the time listen to what other they trying to communicate to me.
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: And hopefully most of the time is that I'm happy here.
0: Yes, yes. yeah. If they can say that, then that's good feedback for you then, isn't it? You know, as a trainer. yeah. As a, yep, yep.
1: Yeah, and I say that to all my pupils. You know, whenever you say good boy to your horse, Make sure you pat yourself on the head because you were the one that caused him to be
0: good. Yes.
1: It was yeah. only through your writing or your training. So, whenever you say good boy, I'm good too. I mm. did that. Take mm. a little pride of that because I think we're all very strict on ourselves. It's easy to, not easy to praise, I
0: think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Just like, how can people contact you?
1: Probably through DEFAS New South Wales Judges List. Mm hmm. That's it, or EA's coaches
0: list. Yeah, and we'll have those details as well on our website, which will be horsechats.com dot com slash Gisela Nelson Harding, or else just go to horsechats dot com and search for Gisla. I'm just thinking that's G I S E L A, but the Harding. I think if that's an easy one to spell, if you if you um spell Harding. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll find that okay. All right, Gislap, like, wonderful talking to you today. I think very interesting. I really liked your point of view, you know, from the judges and about judges being honest, not worrying about being popular, you know, and just giving the riders the right feedback, but also, you know, the way that you like within your training to give the horses the right feedback. I think that's been very good. So thank you for talking to us today, and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon.
1: Okay, and you will yeah. put Gislap some
0: harding, won't you? Yes, we'll put down horsechats.com slash Gisla Nielsen Harding. But if someone goes yes. and just searches for Harding, they'll find your interview. Oh, okay. Yep, okay. yep. yep. We'll see what you
1: said,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for that. Okay, bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe.